0: Welcome to the Elevate Life Church Podcast of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit elevatelife.com.
1: So great to be back with you here today. Such an honor and a privilege. Every time I come to be with y'all, my family, I, I got to say, I love this church. I love the leaders in this church and I love your senior pastors, Pastor Keith and Sheila. These guys are awesome. And if you didn't know, this weekend they are ministering in South and uh, Pastor Keith has been at a men's conference over there. And this is special because this is the place where Pastor Keith and I first met. And I tell you what, the South African men, they so warm to Pastor Keith. He is anointed for a time such as this to be able to speak into their lives. So it's awesome what they're doing over there. And it's also awesome because they're over there, I get to be here. And uh, so great to be with you today. So why don't we pray and then we'll get underway. Well, Father God, we just thank you from the bottom of our hearts that we get to be in church today, whether it be in South Africa, here in Frisco or in McKinney, God, that we get to sit at your feet and learn from you. So I pray, God, that you would open up our ears and our minds and our hearts to receive the message that you want to give us today. Reveal to us your story, his story throughout history. And I pray, God, that you would have your way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Go ahead. Grab a seat. Everyone, I want to start the message today by telling you a story of two people who share the same name. One guy, his name is Yeshua Barabbas, whereas the other guy's name is Yeshua Mashiach, Jesus the Messiah. At this particular juncture in the story, one is a criminal and the other is a king, but in this moment, they're both prisoners. And it is the custom or the tradition of the governor on this particular day to release one of the prisoners, to set them free. So let's pick up the story in Matthew chapter 27, starting in verse 20. But the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and to have Jesus executed. Which one of these two do you want me to release to you? Asked the governor, who was clearly from Scotland. Barabbas, they answered. What then shall I do with this other one called Jesus the Messiah? Pilate asked. And they all answered, crucify him. Why? Why? "'What crime has he committed?' asked Pilate. But the crowd shouted even louder, "'Crucify him!' Now, in order to make this story come to life, I'm going to need just a little bit of audience participation. So I'm going to be Pontus Pilate, the governor, and y'all are going to be the crowd. And so when I ask you which one of these two uh, do you want me to release to you today, I would love it if you were to shout at the top of your lungs, Barabbas! Should we give it a go? All right. Which one of these two do you want me to release to you today? Awesome. Okay, this is going to work really well. And then I'm going to go on and say, well, what then shall I do with this other one called Jesus? And I would love you to say, crucify him. But when I ask you why, what crime has he committed? Just shout even louder, crucify him. And let's see what happens. Are you ready to go? Ach, aye, to be sure. As is our tradition today, I get to release one of the prisoners to you! So which one of these two would you like me to release to you today? Brothers! Okay, but then what shall I do with this other one called Jesus the Messiah? Crusader! Why? What crime is he committed? Can you imagine what must have been going on in the mind of Barabbas? Who is likely situated in the dungeon right underneath where this is taking place. And from the dungeon, you cannot hear the voice of one man, but you can absolutely hear the shouting of the crowd. And what's the crowd shouting? Barabbas! Crucify him! Crucify him! Barabbas must have been completely freaking out and when the centurion soldiers come on down to fetch him and bring him upstairs, and then they say to him, you're free to go. He must have thought to himself, what kind of sick joke is this? I heard it said that I was to be crucified, but he didn't quite have all of the information. He misread what was going on because he didn't yet have the big picture. He hadn't yet heard the full story. And whenever I think of Barabbas, it kind of reminds me of modern day Christians today who are keen on the New Testament, but typically think, well, the Old Testament, well, it's kind of past its use by date. It's, it's been uh, fulfilled and done away with, like it's, it's, it's gone, like it's redundant. And so we'll just stick with the new but as a result because they haven't yet heard the full story they don't yet have the big picture and therefore may easily misinterpret what's going on turn with me to the book of john john chapter 4 verse 13 and 14. jesus answered saying everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become like a spring welling up to eternal life." That right there is the big picture. You can read a portion of the Bible and you'll go back for more, but when you have the big picture, you won't thirst again because you will know the end of the story from the beginning. Water in this context is being used as a metaphor for the Word of God, but it's interesting because the Word of God is actually a metaphor itself for Jesus, and so if the Bible is using water as a reference point for both Jesus and Scripture, well then we would do well to take a little closer look at water so as to not miss the big picture. Now, most of us learned in school that water is made up of H2O, two parts hydrogen, and one part oxygen. And this right here is a biochemical illustration of the hydrogen bonding patterns. The oxygen atoms, you will note, are colored in red, and the nitrogen atoms are colored in blue. But what's fascinating about this microchemical representation is that you'll notice the oxygen and nitrogen atoms are anti parallel. That is, they run parallel to each other, but with opposite alignments. Like, what, am I the only one who gets excited about this stuff? Don't don't you get it? It's not just a parallel, it's an inverse parallel. Or in simple language, the parallel has features that are exactly the same and features that are totally different at the same time. So in other words, it's same-same only different. Let me break it down in even more simple terms for you. They are the same on both sides. The only thing is that they're different on both sides. And the reason why I think this is incredibly exciting and why it's kind of cool is because the inverse parallel features in hydrogen are similar to the inverse parallel features in the Word of God. And if you're still not following, let me explain. Throughout the Bible, there are stories that are featured in the Old Testament that are paralleled with stories in the New Testament. They are, in essence, the exact same story, featuring the same elements, the same symbols, and yet, at the same time, the stories are completely different. Same, same, only different. So, today, We're going to go back in time to the Old Testament to have a look at the stories that predict not only what happens in the New Testament, but what is still yet to come. That's right. Today, we are going back to the future. Isaiah chapter 46 verse 10 says, I make known the end from the beginning, from ancient times, what is still to come. And I say, my purpose will stand And I will do all that I please. In the Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, God is telling a story. Yet he gives away the end from the beginning. And then he starts in the beginning before the end has even happened. And if you're tracking with me, you'll understand that everything that happened in the beginning of the Bible is a representation for the things that are yet to happen in the end of the Bible. And if you don't believe me, just check out what it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 45. It says, so it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. So we are going right back to the very, very beginning in Genesis. The first man, Adam, became a living being. And then the last Adam, going right now to the very end, a life-giving spirit. So here we see two characters, one from the Old Testament, one from the New Testament. They are called by the same name, and yet they are completely different. And if you haven't figured it out, the second Adam is Jesus verse 47 the first man was of the dust of the earth whereas the second man is of heaven Jesus therefore is a parallel of the first Adam they are same in kind but opposite in nature verse 49 and just as we have borne the image of earthly man so shall we bear the image of the heavenly man. In other words, we as the physical atoms on earth are being conformed into the very likeness and image of God. In other words, we are becoming Christ-like. But pay attention now because in the very beginning, it said that man was created in God's own image and likeness, the end, was already established right at the beginning. There is an inverse parallel going on here. Same, same, only different. And check out these other cool parallels. When Adam was formed out of the dust of the earth, it says in scripture that he was formed as a man, as a grown man. But if you would have gone up to Adam in that first week in the garden and said, hey, Adam, like, how old are you? Because you look to me like maybe 35. Adam would have said, oh, no, I'm only three. You're like, three? Three years? No, no, three days. He was aged in appearance, but he was brand new. So young, only days old. But check out the inverse parallel. Unlike the first Adam, Jesus was born as a brand new baby. And although he appeared young, he is referred to in Scripture as the Ancient of Days. Get this, the first Adam was born as an infant. Oh, sorry, the first Adam was born or was was made as a man and yet appeared aged as a man, but he was brand new. But the second Adam, Jesus, was made as a baby, yet he was beyond old as the ancient of days. But wait, there's more. In the beginning when God created the heavens and the earth and everything on it, he said, it is good. But when he created man at the very end of creation, he said, but now that is very good. But check out the inverse parallel. At the very beginning, God said, I've saved the best until last, in certain terms, saying this is very good. But interestingly, in the very beginning of Jesus' ministry, his first miracle was to turn water Into wine and when the new wine was served to the host the host said well this other wine that you've served me is good but this last wine is very good once again it could be said you have saved the best until last and interestingly if you know anything about wine you'll know that the very best wines are well aged But just like Adam, the wine that Jesus created was brand new, and yet it was aged in appearance. Same, same, only different. And if you think, well, that's just some kind of coincidence, well, wait, there's even more. God's very first command in the garden was to be fruitful and multiply. But Jesus' very last command to the disciples was pretty much exactly the same. As he said, go into all of the earth and make disciples of all the nations, Jesus is in essence saying, be fruitful and multiply. It's an inverse parallel, same, same, only different. In the Garden of Eden, God stated his will. He said, you may eat of all of the trees in this garden, but this one tree, the fruit of which you shall not eat because it will surely result in In death. But as Adam stretched out his hand to partake of the forbidden fruit, in essence by his action, he was saying, But not your will be done, God, my will be done. But skip forward a few thousand years, and Jesus is in a parallel garden called Gethsemane, where once again God states his will. But Jesus prayed. God, if there is any other way than me stretching out my arm on this crucifixion tree that will result in my death, let this cup pass from me. But God, not my will be done, your will be done. Same, same, only different. Interestingly, the tree in the Garden of Eden was called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And in an inverse parallel, Jesus who was all good, was acutely aware that pure evil was about to be perpetrated against him. The first Adam stretched out his hand towards the tree and it resulted not just in his death but the death of all mankind. But the second Adam, Jesus, stretched out his hand on the crucifixion tree that didn't just result in his death but resulted in the salvation of all mankind. This time it's same same only majorly different. Romans chapter 5, verse 18 and 19 puts it like this. Just as one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people, so also one righteous act resulted in justification and life for all people. For just just as through the disobedience of one man, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of one man, the many will be made righteous. Righteous. Same, same, only different. And why is all of this so important? Because if the water of the word is same, same, only different and you and I are being conformed into his same image and likeness, then chances are we too have a parallel story. Your life has an old you and a new you. It's the same you, only different. Check it out. There are two stories going on in your life. They are the same you, only the beginning and the end of your story are supposed to be different. The old and the new, the lost and the found, the broken and the healed. And in our individual stories, we are also supposed to make way for his story. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 22 and 24 says, put off your old self which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. When we put off the old person, our old self, and put on the new, our Christ-like self, we don't just get a chance to change the course of history but rather we get the chance to write a brand new future. The rest is still unwritten. But how do we do it? How does our story make way for Jesus, for his story? To discover the end, what we need to do is go right back to the beginning. In Genesis, from the first Adam came the family line of Seth. And in the sixth generation came Enoch, who had a son called Methuselah, who was the grandfather of Noah. Noah himself had three sons, one of whom was named Shem. Seven generations on, and Nahor had a son called Terah. And even though he was a Terah, he had a son called Abram. Abram married Sarai, and in their 90s, God changed their names. He changed Abram's name to Abraham, meaning father of a multitude, and Sarai's name to Sarah, meaning mother of nations. Abraham had two sons, Ishmael and Isaac. Same father, different mothers. That's right, same, same, only different. And through the family line of Isaac came King David, and through the root and offspring of David came the second Adam, Jesus. But coming back to Abraham, I personally think that this is where things really get interesting. This is where perhaps the most significant inverse parallel between the Old Testament and the New Testament takes place. So let me set the scene. The day is hot and Abraham is resting under the shade of an olive tree contemplating all that has happened, as well as the promises that God has given him, that from his seed will come a great nation. And from this great nation will come one that will give hope and blessing to all of the nations. That's right, the Messiah. And that thought alone is enough to give him goosebumps. But as he reflects upon the seed, I mean, it's a miraculous circumstance that brought Isaac into the world because his wife was not able to conceive. And at the age of 99, well past her use-by date, she fell pregnant. Just the birth alone was enough to kill her. It's a miracle that this child was brought into the world. But he still stops and wonders Is it going to happen? Is there truly going to be a nation that comes from my seed? Especially when he reflects on the fact that God asked him to sacrifice his son. He still remembers the day. Kind of a little bit like a day he'd rather forget. He can still see in his mind's eye the wood strapped to Isaac's back as they walked up the hill called Mount Moriah. And Isaac, he didn't complain or argue or protest. Rather, he just asked, so like, where's the lamb for the sacrifice? And Abraham remembers his answer choking back the tears as he said, the Lord God himself will provide the lamb. And the good news is, He did, but now Abraham is contemplating and worrying about something else. Okay, so this man, this boy who was a boy but now is a man is 40 years of age and he is still a childless bachelor. How on earth are we gonna generate a nation from him? Enter stage left. Eliezer, the most senior servant of Abraham, is called in and Abraham says to him, I would like you to go and find a wife for Isaac. The only thing is, don't find a wife from around here in the land of Canaan. Go back across the desert to the land where I came from and get him a wife from there. Now, Eliezer, he knew his master well enough not to question him but still at the same time he was thinking to himself dum, 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 dum. under pressure like the pressure only the whole of humanity rests on his ability to find the right girl and so he mounts up his camels and makes the long four day trek across the desert and eventually arrives at the well where young girls are coming out to fetch water but as he looks at the girls he's like whoa there's so many of like which one is the one but as if on cue a massive drool of dribble falls down the back of his neck from one of the camels that's leaning over him and that prompts him to think hey 10 camels four days no water the camels are thirsty and so he gets to his knees and says god if there could be a girl here that would offer not just me a drink, but offer to water all of my camels, then I would know that is the girl. Because to water my camels is no small feat. One camel alone can consume up to 50 gallons of water in a three-minute period. So in order to get the water, a girl is going to need to take a big five-gallon drum or bucket and do that trip several times for each camel. That's like 50 gallons of water. That's a massive undertaking. And he thinks, look, this is so unreasonable, so unlikely that if a girl was to do that, then I would truly know she is the one and as though it was on cue before he had even finished praying out comes a hot babe called Becky on down to the well and he's thinking this could be the one he goes over to her he says hey may I please have a drink to which she says well sure but why don't I also go ahead and water all of your camels Yes! thought Eliezer, this is the one! And that night while reclining in Rebecca's family tent as he's explaining to her family the mission and the commission that he had been given to go and find a wife from Isaac for Isaac, he lavished them with gifts and treasures and jewelry and then made the request: Rebecca, will you come with me to be wed to Isaac? The following morning, the family asks Rebecca, so what do you want to do, do you want to go? And she makes the decision, I will go. So he loads up the caravan of camels and heads off the next day. The trek is long, the terrain is harsh, but they make it four days later. It's interesting because the camel trek back to the promised land, it's not easy. She's going to a groom that she has never seen, and her future, she doesn't know. All she has is the word of the one who has spoken on his behalf, the messenger, if you will. And the rest is faith, or the rest, as they say, is history, or the rest is his story, because. The comparison of Isaac in the Old Testament to the likeness of Jesus in the New Testament is undeniable. Check this out. Both Isaac and Jesus were born through miraculous circumstances. Isaac was born to Sarah who couldn't conceive, so it was a miraculous conception. Jesus was born to Mary who had not naturally conceived, so it was an immaculate conception. Same, same only different. Both Isaac and Jesus walked up the very same hill without complaining or objecting, willing to be the sacrifice for their father. The point of Isaac's sacrifice was on Mount Moriah, which today you will find located in Israel's capital in the heart of Jerusalem. That's right. On the very same hill, 2,000 years into the future, Jesus was sacrificed. Same, same, only different. But the inverse parallel continues. Both Isaac and Jesus willingly carried the sacrificial wood on their backs upon which they both were to be sacrificed. Same wood, only different form. Isaac asked Abraham, so where's the lamb for the sacrifice? And Abraham replied, the Lord will provide. And he did. God provided another lamb for the sacrifice. His name was Jesus, and that's why today Jesus is called the Lamb of God. Same, same, only different. Isaac was laid out on the altar to be sacrificed, but at the last minute his life was spared. He rose again and walked away. But Jesus, too, was sacrificed, but rose again after three days and walked away. Same, same, only different. After his sacrifice and subsequent resurrection, Jesus went away. He is not seen again, in fact, won't be seen again until God determines it's time for him to fetch his bride. And the bride of Christ is referred to as the church. In the same way, yet only different, following Isaac's sacrifice and subsequent rescue, he isn't seen or mentioned again in scripture until it's time to fetch his bride. And that is no coincidence. Abraham sends his servant into the world to find a bride for the son, just as God the Father sends his Holy Spirit, the messenger, into the world to seek a bride for his son. Same, same only different. And that's where we enter the story because that's who Rebecca represents, you and me. Our story is intertwined with his story in history. Just like Rebecca, you and I, we have to decide whether or not we are willing to believe the servant or the messenger's account of who he is. We have to decide whether or not we will leave our world and accept him as our Lord and be united with him together forever. The choice is is ours to either stay with what we know or take a step of faith into a relationship with somebody whom we have not yet seen. Because if we choose to believe that Jesus really is who the messenger has told us that he is, that's what we're doing. We're taking a step of faith in the same way that Rebecca never saw Isaac. We too are being invited into a relationship with Jesus who we have not yet seen. So here's the thing. If God ever seems distant to you, like a mirage, or if the Christian life to you is a little bit like a desert, or if faith is an ever-uncomfortable camel ride because you can't see Jesus, well just know you're not actually meant to see him. Not just yet. You see, to the world, Jesus seems distant. But don't be like Barabbas and jump to the conclusion, well, Jesus is distant, therefore he doesn't care. You would only jump to that conclusion if you don't have the big picture, if you haven't yet heard the full story. But because we get to look at the story in both the Old and the New Testament, remember, the ending is told from the beginning. We know how the story ends. So don't lose heart and don't lose faith. Like Isaac, Jesus hasn't been seen on this earth since the time of his sacrifice and his resurrection. And just because we live in an age where we don't yet see Jesus doesn't mean that he's absent or that he doesn't hear you. In fact, he is actively waiting, waiting for us to accept his invitation to be not in religion, but to be in relationship with him. He is waiting to come and be united with his bride. We are currently situated on this side of the desert, but soon we will meet him face to face. Because just like Rebecca, Isaac was waiting for Rebecca to come. Yet in our lifetime, we are the ones who are waiting for Jesus to come. Same, same, only different. And while many people may have already passed through the desert of this life and been united with their love, for those of us who are still alive, we are the ones who wait with the Holy Spirit for Him to come to us. We today remain waiting for the return of Jesus Christ. And that actually is the whole point of this story. Through Abraham his son, Isaac, and his most senior servant, Eliezer, through the Old Testament history, God is constantly telling his story in our modern time. I'd like to read one final verse for today. We started this message in the beginning of the Bible. So let's end this message at the very end of the Bible. The beginning and the end the full picture the big view the big perspective as we read this verse why don't we stand to our feet this verse is found in revelation chapter 22 and it's written for anyone here who isn't yet on the journey of faith if you feel like you're still at the well Perhaps drawing water for other people's camels well then your future is still unknown but like Rebecca maybe you've come to the well today and you're thirsty and like the most senior servant the Holy Spirit is inviting you to come and meet the bridegroom and this is what God says to you it's the way he finishes his story Revelation chapter 22, verse 16 and 17 says, I, Jesus, did send my messenger to testify to you these things concerning the assemblies. I am the root and the offspring of David, the bright and the morning star. And the Spirit and the bride say, Come. The Spirit and the who? The Spirit and the bride say come and he who is hearing let him say come and he who is thirsty let him say come and he who is willing let him take the water of life freely this is the invitation that is being extended to us today so let us pray father god i just thank you so much that you have revealed the end right from the beginning that we don't just have a portion of the story, today we get to see the big picture. And I thank You, God, that the story ends well and that You have invited us to be in relationship with You. What an honour and a privilege. Who are we that You would invite us to be in this kind of intimacy? And God, even though we may be on a journey ourselves where we're on the back of a camel riding through the desert and we can't see you face to face, I thank you that there is a time coming where we will. I thank you, God, that we wait, we stand, right now with the Holy Spirit, and we, as the bride, say, come. Come, Jesus, I thank you, God, that it's not just us that's on a journey, but that You are on Your own journey and that You are coming to us and that You will meet us wherever we are at, that You will not leave us nor forsake us, but that You will find us wherever we are. God, that You will reunite Yourself to us and that You will invite us into this everlasting relationship. God, let us take a step of faith. We do declare Your goodness and we thank You for this invitation. And in this place today, we say yes in Jesus' name mighty name come on let's lift our voices and sing
0: Holy, there is no one like you. There is
1: desert or maybe you're sick and tired of looking at the back of a camel's head and you're wondering is there ever a time where things are going to change am I ever going to experience breakthrough well I'd love to end this service by praying for two groups of people the first group of people are the who feel like you're in the desert. Maybe it's a financial desert that you're just never getting the breakthrough. And and time after time, you're seeing a mirage on the rise. And then when you get closer, it, it just fades away Uh, and you're longing for something solid and real and dependable, I'd love to pray for breakthrough for you right now. Or maybe your desert is the relationship that you're in and you're so parched and you're so thirsty for any kind of validation or love or kindness or care. When am I going to get the breakthrough that I need in order to make this relationship work? Or maybe it's a health situation that you find yourself in. And maybe there's glimmers of hope just like the mirage on the horizon. Or maybe you get the news that there's such a long way to go. Well, I'm gonna pray today that God fast tracks your journey, that you get the breakthrough that you need, that even though you might not see the face of Jesus right now, let's pray like the Spirit and the bride say, come. If you fall into that first category, if you feel like you're in the desert and you've got a need today, well, in a moment, I'm going to ask you just to slip up your hand. And if you see somebody's hand raised, just go ahead and stretch out your hand towards them or place your hand on their shoulder just to let them know they're not in the desert alone. We are with them. So right now where you're standing, lift up your hand if you've got a need and let's pray together. Hands are going up all over this place. It's great. If you see somebody's hand, reach out over to them. So Father God, I thank You so much that we are on this journey, but we're not the only ones crossing the desert, God. You are on Your way to us. I thank You, Father God, that You know the time and the day where You will say to Jesus, go fetch Your bride, and that He will mount up with the hosts of angels and with the sound of a trumpet blast, He will come and He will find us wherever we are. But God, right now, I pray that You would send Your Holy Spirit, the comforter, the advocate, to remind us of who you really are and your capacity to intervene. That though you may be distant, you are not absent. You can still hear us and you are still actively involved in our lives. So I pray, come right now. Holy Spirit, Jesus, I pray that you would intervene in our financial circumstances, in our relationships. God, I pray for a better health report. Fast track the solution, God. Bring about wisdom for the doctors, God. Bring a healing where we see no hope for the future give us hope to hold on to give us something more than a mirage give us something tangible and I thank you God that you don't leave us nor forsake us you love us and if you are for us who or what can be against us so we just do declare as the spirit of the bride we say come thank you Jesus for coming into our situation and our circumstance right now in Jesus mighty name Amen just before we end there's one last group of people that i'd love to pray for and that is those who may be still at the well those who haven't yet said yes to the invitation to be in relationship with jesus and maybe you are thinking, well i haven't seen him yet well neither had rebecca and if she could take that step of faith then so can we I'd love to pray for you if you have never entered into a relationship with Jesus but today you believe you're courageous enough to take that step of faith, all that you are required to do is simply say yes to say thank you to the invitation. You don't have to have it all together. You don't in fact have to water any camels. There's nothing that you have to do. In fact, there's nothing that you can do to earn this invitation. It has already been extended 2000 years ago. Jesus said, "It is done." And anyone who wants to enter into a relationship, no pressure, but you get to. So don't miss this opportunity. I'd love to pray a simple prayer with you and for you. And it goes like this. It's a prayer that says, thank you. Thanks for the invitation, because like, who am I that you would invite me to be in a relationship with you? But it's also a prayer that says, sorry. It's an acknowledgement that, well, maybe somewhere along the way I thought I was God, that I could live however I want to. And as a result, we end up making a series of mistakes in our life. But thank God for Jesus, who dies for our sins and says, I'm not giving you a second chance. I'm giving you a brand new start, a brand new beginning. And so it's a declaration to say, thank you, sorry, but finally, yes. Yes, I will say yes to the invitation. I'll follow you on this journey. And it is an exciting journey, an exhilarating journey of life. Not on your own, but together with Him on your side.
0: Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. Make sure to get your copy of Pastor Keith Craft's book, Your Divine Fingerprint. And visit elevatelife.com for other exciting new content from Elevate Life Church.